ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing the world of classic cinema. As always, I'm your host, Kristen Lopez. And I'm Samantha Ellis. Andrea Clark is actually out living her best life. So she is not here with us, but she is with us in spirit. And she also gave us her list for this episode. So she will have her thoughts on the podcast. She will not be stopped. We are talking about our top three favorite Doris Day movies in honor of the late, great Doris Day, who passed away a couple weeks ago. TCM did a big tribute on her. We are actually devoting our first Ticklish Business movie night to streaming Calamity Jane, which hopefully you all will be there this coming Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be streaming it via the Rabbit software so all you need is a computer and a link there's an rsvp list on our twitter as well as our patreon so let us know if you're coming you want to pop in say hi to your three favorite podcasters and celebrate doris day with us should be very fun yeah i'm very excited for it well you love calamity jane spoiler alert it may or may not be on this list it's not enough to just highlight one doris day film we wanted to highlight as many as possible so we're doing our patented ticklish business top three but let's talk a little bit briefly about doris day in general and what she means to us sam i feel like you might have a better connection what is your background with doris day and what do you think about her as a actress and persona her films I've discovered more Doris Day films in the last year than the rest of my discovery combined. I have to say, I can't help but latch onto the few old Hollywood stars that we still have, as opposed to the ones who are very long gone. So when I found out that Doris Day was still with us and that she had so many films for us to appreciate, I really took into discovering those. Lately, I've been really trying to find the earlier films in her career because I feel like the really famous and talked about day films are from the 60s. I've been very curious about the 50s ones and looking into those. It's been a gradual process, and she's definitely one of my favorite singers and actresses of old Hollywood. It's interesting because I've had a really weird up and down relationship with Doris Day as an actress and a persona. I've seen several Doris Day films. I'm very surprised with how many Doris Day films I've actually watched. It's a fair amount. I had always seen her as the epitome of 1950s domesticity. Average looking woman who personified home and hearth wasn't really interesting. Her films were fluff. You think of the Rock Hudson, Doris Day movies. It's hard to watch those movies now when you know that Rock Hudson was gay because it almost plays as like a joke. Oh, she's making these movies with an obviously gay man and there's little chemistry between them. That was what I had thought going in. And actually watching several of her movies and the films that I spotlighted here in my top three really cemented how Doris Day got around showing sexuality in the 50s and 60s when the code was desperately trying to hang on to changing mores. And also with the 50s happening, you had this real push to 
create the idea of a perfect woman, the Donna Reed type. Doris Day did a lot of subversion of that without anybody really knowing. That made me appreciate her a lot more. And then if you read about her life, I was fortunate to finally get to read the big biography that came out a couple years ago. I forget what the name of it is. Somebody will know what it is. It's the, it was the one that came out. There was a lot of fanfare a couple years ago. But talking about her relationships with her husbands, the abuse that she had endured and how that translated into her films, I really came to appreciate her that she was this scrappy survivor that was doing a lot more to show a relatable portrait of women that's even relevant today than I think she's given credit for the 50s housewife persona is what people want to perceive her as. Even in her obituary, she was called virginal, which is the word that everybody who really knows Doris detests. You're right. I mean, I think she was such a huge part of the 60s sexual revolution that nobody even realizes. And I'm actually going to discuss that in some of my picks as well. If you really watch her movies, there's no denying that she was a very sexual and free woman, no matter who she played. We'll talk honorable mentions and all of that at the end, so let's dive right into our top threes. We have Dreyas. She did not rank them, so I'm just going to ascribe a ranking to each of them, and if we have seen them, we can talk about them. She has The Man Who Knew Too Much. You're right, that was a gunshot you heard. That was the signal that brought all the trouble out of the open. It's a scene from our new picture, The Man Who Knew Too Much. As you know, Alfred Hitchcock has an uncanny knack for coming up with the unusual in entertainment, while The Man Who Knew Too Much can certainly be put in that category. I play the part of an American doctor, Doris Day's my wife, and the story is about our trip abroad that started out as a holiday and ended up as a nightmare which is from 1956. It's Alfred Hitchcock's remake of his own movie from the 30s. I've seen both versions of the movie. I have too. The early 30s version is a lot of fun. It's a totally different tone than the 56 version, which is far more somber. Jimmy Stewart plays an American physician. He's taken his wife and his son out to Morocco, I believe. Right. For a family vacation. And assassins are going to execute a foreign prime minister, so they kidnap their son in order to get them to do it. Its it's main claim to fame for most people is that it's the debut of K. Seurat Seurat, Doris sang it in this movie. This is a film that she gets a lot of flack for. I reviewed it a couple years ago, and I had seen it for the first time. A lot of people had said, oh, the movie's good, but Doris Day is so horribly miscast. I don't know if I agree with that assessment. She's really good playing this woman that is so put upon and has to undergo the hardest thing, I'm sure, in 1956 that the movie posits, which is to be a mother whose child is abducted. And when she has a moment where she breaks down and she gets mad at Jimmy Stewart for trying to give her sedatives, I mean, you feel for her. She has so much raw emotion in the whole film that I can't say she's miscast. She tries very, very hard. It's a different side of her that she was not often given the chance to show. 
it in that same vein as the role that people wanted her to play, the born mother, which Doris always was very confused by that because it's like, you want me to be a virgin and a mother? How is that going to work? Of course, this movie is best known for the song, Que Sera, Sera. It's, it's such a good song, but this movie doesn't do anything for me. It really doesn't. I mean, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I took the Hitchcock course that TCM offered, and I've seen probably the majority of his movies, including both both versions of this. I would prefer the earlier version. Jimmy Stewart is one of my favorite actors. Everybody knows that. He did a lot better films for Hitchcock, too. So I don't even take this one into consideration very much. And that is why we all have very different lists. <laughs> it's true. Our lists are very different. I'm just going to keep the theme of 1956 going. My number three is a film called Julie. Always before, Lyle's music had quieted my uneasy feeling that behind the warmth of his kisses was danger. But now he played with such savage fury. I was frightened. My suspicions haunted me. Was I married to a man capable of murder? I had to find out. Maybe my love for you was just as violent as yours for me. Don't ever try to leave me. Don't ever try to leave me. This was not originally on my list i originally had a film that i'll talk about my honorable mentions but i wanted to put something that it was a different tone for doris day she tried several times to show different facets of her personality and the films weren't always good and julie is not a very good movie but she is really good in it and if you know the backstory of her life it's even more fascinating. So Julie is the story of a woman, played by Doris Day, named, what do you know, Julie, who is married to a man named Lyle, played by Louis Jordan. And if you are a fan of Louis Jordan like me, this is an entertaining mess. I love him. <laughs> I just have to throw it out there. I love This is a lot of fun him. to watch him in. He plays Julie's husband, Lyle Benton, and from the first scene of this movie, you understand that Lyle is psychotic at worst and a abuser of women at best. It is a very abusive, terrifying relationship that they are in. It all starts with the fact that Lyle used to be best friends with her husband, and then she comes to the realization that he might have killed her husband to marry her. At the same time, there's a lot of gaslighting and emotional manipulation. The movie goes off the rails right about the hour mark because he won't leave her alone. She tries to get the cops involved and they're just like, eh, move. You don't really need anything else. Change your name. Maybe like get a boyfriend or something. I haven't seen it in a long time, so forgive me if my memory is not as clear, but it culminates with she's a flight attendant having to be on an airplane where Lyle kills the pilot and she has to fly the airplane. <laughs> I think I remember that. Which I was sitting there thinking, so this is the inspiration for Airplane a little bit. <laughs> I, mean, I know Airplane's inspired by Airport, but I also feel that Julie is involved a little bit in there. So it becomes a bit wacky, but that first hour when it's the psychological drama of a woman being in an abusive relationship and Doris Day was in a very 
a lot of emotional abuse. There was some physical abuse. She had been in a relationship that was about power dynamics and being told that she was less. And that really affected her. And there's a scene in Julie where Lyle is threatening to crash the car. And if you read the biography of Doris, she actually had a panic attack filming that because that was something that had happened to her with her own husband. For her, making Julie was incredibly difficult because she was that woman. It's not a great movie, but if you know the backstory and how hard it must have been for her to revisit facets of her own marriage, it takes on this added poignancy and it's worth watching. Julie is a movie, I've seen it, but I don't remember it very well. This is a weird story, completely unrelated. But while I was watching Julie for the first and only time, my iPod, I dropped it and it shattered. So I spent the whole movie with it still on in the background trying to commiserate over my iPod and fix it. I remember it being pretty much exactly as you described. I love Louis Jordan, but it's another thing where it's like, you could find better movies of his, I'm sure. And the same with Doris, but I remember hearing about this movie from Eddie Muller when I was interviewing him. He talked to me a little bit about how much of a fan of Doris Day he was. He was talking about it. And then one of the camera guys says, did Doris Day make any noirs? And he considers Julie a Doris Day noir. IMDb listed as a noir. And I would certainly consider it as a noir. If it's good enough for Eddie, it's good enough for me. It was so sad because I gave the interview before she had passed away. And he was telling me a little bit. He was like, Ben Mankiewicz gets invited to be the host for her birthday party and not me when I have said I'm a fan. And then I remember saying to him after the interview was over, well, I hope she invites you next time. And (laughs) I feel really bad about that now. Yeah, well, who knew? Exactly. I'm sure we all miss her very much. My number three is a very strange film for anyone who's seen it. It's called The Glass Bottom Boat. Are you high? You're not the girl in the glass bottom boat. Mata Harry stops at nothing. Mata Harry? <laughs> Go on. That's Doris Day, the girl next door. A spy? But Doris has never been in a picture like this. Fact is, nobody has. Since I'm bottomless, there's never been a picture like this. Is there room in the space program for love? Ask Doris. She got hooked by a spaceman. It's a very recent discovery for me. I watched it for the first time just a few weeks ago when it was part of TCM's series on meat cutes. This movie really has one of the best meat cutes I've ever seen with a wealthy aerospace engineer accidentally reeling in his coworker on his fishing line. More than that, it's just an insanely wacky product of its time that only somebody like Frank Tashlin could have come up with. It has everything from espionage to automatic cleaning machines to space projects, and especially Paul Lind in drag. He looks pretty good in drag. We don't really focus on his looks. He at least did the right hairdo and had a pretty dress on. He went all into it for no explained reason. 
what makes this movie really stand out is that it's by far the most sexually charged of Doris Day films. Gone were the days of the restrictive code, ushering in the sexual revolution of the 60s, and some really overt and racy dialogue in this film. Her chemistry with Rod Taylor is just out of this world. It's so sad that they never made another movie together, but I really love their genuine connection throughout the movie, no matter what zany hijinks occur around them. It's pretty new to me, so I can't rank it any higher. If you're considering watching this movie at all, you absolutely must because you're in for like the ride of your life. This Warner Archive put this out on Blu-ray recently, and I have a copy of it. If you've listened to my episode on Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, Frank Tashlin and I have a weird relationship. I'm very interested in seeing how he worked with a performer like Doris Day, especially after reading the book Tashlin-esque where the author implied that he didn't really know what to do with someone like Doris Day compared to someone like Jane Mansfield. So I'm fascinated to see it. I do like Doris. I haven't dabbled in many of her 60s films, so I have a lot of blind spots. The thing about this film is Doris really shakes off any preconceived notion that you might have about her. She's all out there. She wants this man. She's going to get this man. When they start to think that she's a spy, I'm not going to try to get too much into it, but she is very determined to turn the tables around on the CIA. <laughs> she completely lets her hair down in this movie. I think it's some of that Tashlin influence. It's such a wacky film and she just dives right into it. I wish that she and Rod Taylor made more movies together because this is so perfect. They're so great together. You wouldn't expect it necessarily, but you can tell that they just had such a genuine fun time making it. I'm excited for you to see it. I want to hear some <laughs> reviews. I will tell you as soon as I see it, you will be the first to know. So moving on to Drea's number two. Drea's going to tell us that we had her top three all out of whack, but this is what I'm going with. She's sticking to the 50s. She has 1955's Love Me or Leave Me, the biopic about torch singer Ruth Edding. From 10 cents a dance to a place in the spotlight, the fabulous story of Ruth Edding, a determined girl reaching for fame and fortune, singing her way into the hearts of a nation. From the mob rule days of Chicago's lurid past to the glitter of the Zig Bell Folly. But behind the glamour and adulation, Ruth Edding lived another life in a shadowy world dominated by a fierce little man who was crazy with love for her. Marty the Gimp Snyder, a mysterious and dangerous man that no one really knew. This is another one I saw a couple years back. I did a whole Doris Day mini marathon for my site a couple years ago been a long time since I've seen it and I probably should revisit it but I remember they're really enjoying it that it's Doris Day playing someone gritty someone who isn't necessarily flawless again in a relationship that's toxic with a man played by James Cagney who is really good their relationship is just so unhealthy that you can't help but feel for her I enjoy having this choice this was the film that Doris really wanted to be remembered for this is probably the most important film in Doris Day's filmography that I have not seen. I've seen reviews, I especially saw it talked about a lot after she passed away, and it's just one of those movies like, I need to see it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. The next time it's on TCM, I'll probably give it a watch. I've heard such good things about her main dramatic performance. 
and the costuming is fantastic. So for that alone, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to see it at some point. My number two is a very different film. We're entering Doris Day's tenure of films in the 60s from 1963, and it's actually a remake. It is Move Over Darling. Hello, I'm Doris Day, and on the other side of this hedge, James Garner, who plays my husband, is making love to Polly Bergen, who plays his wife. Now, wait a minute. What am I saying? I'm his wife, and she's his wife. Hmm? That's right. And if you want to have the laugh of your life, watch them unscramble this torrid triangle in their new movie, Move Over Darling. Nikki, no. Now, don't do that, Nikki. Darling? Please don't take advantage of me just because I'm a woman. You're my wife. One of them. Yeah, you know, I really have to do something about that. Yes. This is a film I feel has a bum reputation considering all of the stuff that happened. This is a remake of the 1940 film My Favorite Wife with Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. Most people might remember the remake that almost happened in the 60s called Something's Gotta Give with Marilyn Monroe, Dean Martin, and Sid Charisse. That did not happen, though, because Marilyn Monroe passed away. So the movie was abandoned for a little bit, and then they just decided to start fresh, dump the cast, dump the crew, dump the director, and decided to remake it as a safe Doris Day movie. To think about the fact that this was almost remade with Marilyn Monroe playing a very different type of character. If memory serves, this was a remake in name only. The characters were not going to necessarily be the same. It was just the same plot. And that makes a lot of sense. It just would have been a lot slicker and cooler. Marilyn and Dean Martin and Sid Charisse, that's a film that you feel is going to have a lot of singing and dancing in it. Maybe some more sex comedy in there they remade it eventually and they went with a far safer cast of characters doris plays ellen arden they just took the same character names from the 40s version she is married to nick arden played by james garner they were on vacation and their boat sunk she's lost at sea he has waited five years as opposed to the requisite seven to declare her legally dead because he is going to get married to a woman named Bianca, played by Polly Bergen. But wouldn't you know it, Ellen shows back up. And Nick has two wives that he has to deal with. My Favorite Wife is one of my favorite movies. I enjoy it so much. But this remake I enjoy just as much. It's not nearly as sexy. The 40s version, ironically enough, and it's not nearly as memorable. You don't have the whole same equivalent of Cary Grant watching Randolph Scott throw himself around a swimming pool, although you do have that character. In this case, he's played by Chuck Connors, who is a bit more lecherous than Randolph Scott is in the 40s version. I still find it to be really entertaining, even though we didn't get the original incarnation. I'm glad that this one exists because Doris Day and James Garner had phenomenal chemistry. Polly Bergen is hilarious in this movie as a woman who's just like thirsty for James Garner and who wouldn't be. It's also got Thelma Ritter as as the mother-in-law to Doris's character. And Doris Day does some really great work. It's not anything that would ever have won her an Oscar, but her scenes with the children are really sweet. She does just as good as Irene Dunn did in the 1940. I haven't seen My Favorite Wife. I know. I feel horrible. Sam! I know, I know. At least I don't think I have. I may have a very long time ago, and 
I might not be remembering it. But I will say that Move Over Darling is actually the very first Doris J film I ever saw. So it has a very special place in my heart for that reason. Back when Netflix actually had some classic films, just saying. I watched it and gosh, I feel the same way that you do about it. I think it's so great. I've seen as much of Something's Gotta Give, the version that was going to be with Marilyn as exists. And I agree with you. It would have been a very different movie. I mean, it was supposed to be the first nude scene in a major motion picture. That goes to show how different those two movies are and would have been. I watched this again very recently after not seeing it for the longest time. And I reviewed it. And I think the main part of my review was that the location changes are very, very jarring and almost attention grabby. Like first you're in the Beverly Hills Hotel, then you're in a car wash, then you're on your way to Monterey. But I guess that's part of the package of the 60s. They did that a lot in those kind of romantic comedies. They just wanted to make it as wacky as possible. I really love that movie. It was a good pick. Sam, what is your number two? My number two is what is, in my opinion, probably the most classic of Doris Day's movies. When I think of Doris Day, I think of Pillow Talk, which is my number two choice. This career girl had everything but love. This bachelor had nothing else but. They had absolutely nothing in common except a party line. Would you please get off this line? They believe passionately in the motto, hate thy neighbor. Look, I don't know what's bothering you, but don't take your bedroom problems out on me. Then he met the body that went with the voice he hated. What would you do? That's what he did. Pretend he was two other guys. I'm following a very new-to-me movie with the Doris Day film that I've probably seen the most times. In it, we have interior decorator Jan Morrow, who shares a party line with songwriter and womanizer Brad Allen, played by Rock Hudson. While she is attempting to stop his phone hogging and reject the advances of every slimy man she meets, Brad finds out that Jan is actually gorgeous and he assumes a fake identity so he can get her in bed. It's pretty obvious that he wants to get her in bed. He doesn't want a relationship with her. But the movie was made in 1959, but Pillow Talk is another Doris Day movie that really embodies the sexual revolution. At one point in the film, her character wants to have premarital sex with him and doesn't care about societal norms like any other character would have just a decade earlier. It has the perfect cast with Doris and the man who's undeniably one of her best co-stars, Rock Hudson. Of course, I'm biased because this movie has Tony Randall, who is one of my my all-time favorite supporting actors as Jan's millionaire client, Jonathan. If you haven't seen any of Doris Day's movies and you're wondering where to start, Pillow Talk is the epitome of a Doris Day classic, and it's the perfect gateway drug to her work. I've seen it probably a million times by now. That is another one I still need to see. Although, again, Warner Archive coming in with the clutch. I believe that they're releasing that on Blu-ray soon. Are they really? Oh my goodness. I didn't know that, but that's so exciting. I have a box set of the three movies that Doris did with Rock Hudson. So that's included there. I want to give it the number one spot, but it's hard to do that because 
I've almost grown tired of it. I hate to say it, I definitely encourage anybody who hasn't seen it to watch it, but I've just oversaturated myself with Pillow Talk. I've seen it so many times. Every occasion, I'll put it on, and it's such a great movie. I don't want to dim that at all. I've seen Down With Love, which I know lampoons many of those films, so I feel like I know the gist, but I just need to actually see the film. (laughs) Right. I'm thinking about your earlier comment about how looking back at the Doris Day and Rock Hudson films, how it's very obvious that he's gay. And I don't know if I'd agree. Watching a movie like this, he plays as much of a womanizer as you could possibly be. And then his persona that he puts on is this Texan, almost like his character in Giant. If I watched this movie and did not know that he was gay, I would have no inkling whatsoever. Drea put her last one. I won't say it's her number one because she might be like pulling her hair out right now saying that was not my number one is one that I know we probably will be talking about again. It's Calamity Jane. We won't discuss it right now because I know it's going to come back. So we'll just jump straight to my number one, which is from 1963. It's the thrill of it all. Hi, my name is Carl Reiner. You know who's doing all that screaming in there? Doris Day. James Garner, Arlene Francis, the stars of the thrill of it all, and the producers and the heads of the studio, all arguing which scene to show you for the preview. They've all got their favorite scenes. Doris Day finally prevailed upon them to let me decide. I'm the author. They're all my favorite scenes. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something that's never been done before in a preview. We're going to show you the whole movie. I love the thrill of it all. It is one of my favorite comedies, my favorite James Garner movie. Well, wait. Maybe it's not my favorite James Garner movie. I have several. Whoa there. Hold on. (laughs) James Garner aficionados have to think about this. Yeah, I was like, "Mm, I don't necessarily know about that. I think Victor Victoria might be up there. Americanization of Emily might be in there somewhere. Either way, I love James Garner. And I love the thrill of it all. And I love James Garner and Doris Day together. James Garner actually said his autobiography, The Garner Files, that if he was not married, he would have gone with Doris Day. She was the one woman that he was so immediately attracted to and that he genuinely wanted, which tells you a lot. I did not know that. Yeah, it's in the book. I need to read that book. I That's been on my list. It's a brief read. It's not too fascinating but it's worth reading but the thrill of it all is a movie that could just as easily be made in 2019 as it was in 1963 in fact i'm shocked it was made in 1963 directed by norman jewison written by carl reiner it stars doris day as a woman named beverly boyer who is a stereotypical early 60s housewife she has two small children one of whom is played by kim carrot from the sound of music she pretty much does it all she answers the phone she gets her kids from a to b she is such a wonder mom that she makes her own ketchup in the basement of their house she is content with her lot in life her husband is a obstetrician he is bringing babies into the world as if we needed any more proof of his virility he's a doctor who's able to deliver children through a series of events beverly is given the opportunity to be a spokesperson for soap 
because she has this nice, personable, relatable man to her that is perceived as attractive. And she slowly starts to become this successful spokeswoman and becomes a bit of a national celebrity. It is all about how her husband can't handle that. He cannot handle his wife making more money than him and being more popular than him. (laughs) And it's just this really fun, sexy look at gender dynamics in the 60s and the idea that women are going out into the world and they don't necessarily need to have a husband anymore. What I really appreciated, and it's what made me really start to reevaluate Doris Day, is that in this movie, there is no denying that this woman has had sex. Aside from the fact that she has two children, this movie is all about her and James Garner making out, talking about doing stuff, alluding to doing stuff. Even the poster is them kissing. This is a couple that has a very healthy sex life. And you appreciate that. You appreciate that there's no pretense that these people are sleeping in separate beds. What's even funnier is how that ends up being Gerald, who is the James Garner character, the only way he can think of to get his wife to quit. He gets the idea in his head that, well, if his wife is pregnant, then she'd have to give up her job. So the entire second half of the movie is him just trying to sleep with her so that she can get her pregnant so she'll quit. And there's a lot of other hijinks that happen. You know, a car ends up in a swimming pool at one point. I love it. It is a great, fun little sex comedy about relationships and how couples navigate that, especially in the 60s. So if you've not seen it, go watch it. I own it. It's amazing. I don't own it, but I really should. It's so hard to say who Doris Day's best leading man was, but if you put a gun to my head and made me say, I would probably say James Corner. <laughs> and it's because of this movie. This movie is so witty. They have such great banter and back and forth. That scene where he drives his car into the swimming pool is probably my favorite of the whole movie. It's just iconic. If you didn't mention this movie, it would be on my honorable mentions for sure. So great, great pick. I love James Garner. We need to do an episode on James Garner I would now do because several episodes on James Garner. If I was I've just realized that we both love him so we need to get on that but this is a fantastic movie i could start a whole podcast with just actors whose last names start with g between garner and garfield like the ads for johnny eager where they had t and t taylor and turner for robert taylor and lana turner it's g and g garner and garfield exactly future idea right there but sam what is your number one In a surprise to no one, my number one choice is Calamity Jane. It's funny that I mentioned that it's a surprise to no one because online it probably isn't. When I ask myself what my favorite Doris Day movie is, it's really hard to pin down. And I would have to say this one, it's only become my favorite in the last few months. I went from watching this movie one time, probably last year, and loving it, to now watching it probably six times in the last three months. I've been watching this movie over and over. Yes, there never was a glibber fibber or a cuter shooter than Calamity Jane. She could outstalk, outdraw, outride any man in Deadwood City, except Wild Bill Hickok. Only with you killing off them redskins so fast. I was wondering why the government even bothered to send the army. You calling me a liar again? Why don't you ever fix your hair? They called her Calamity, but you'll call her Calossal. As Doris Day lights your life with laughter and song, 
in an exciting new star combination with Howard Keel as Wild Bill Hickok, who gets tamed by the blonde buckaroo in buckskins. Calamity Jane, who's loosely based on a real person, very loosely based, volunteers for the impossible task of locating Adelaide Adams, the most celebrated actress in the country, and bringing her to the tiny town of Deadwood to perform for Deadwood citizens, who are her most adoring fans. Calamity ends up accidentally bringing back Katie Brown, who's Adelaide's maid, which sparks a friendship that borders on homosexual relationship and a series of unforeseen consequences in the town. Like I said, it's hard to explain why I adore this film as much as I do. For one thing, I think this is truly Doris Day's acting at its finest. I've said this a million times to anybody who will listen, but if the Academy cared half as much about musicals and comedies as they do about dramas, then Doris would have been a shoe-in for an Oscar nomination for her performance as Calamity. It's so transformative and she's really marvelous to watch on screen i'm also a really big fan of howard keel and i love his part and his singing even though he's sans mustache which i personally don't care for the soundtrack for calamity jane is so infectious and to die for every single song is just so memorable and perfect everything from the performances to the songs to the characters and the costumes just make this an unforgettable film of Doris Days and easily the one that I turn to now when I want to see her light up my screen. We'll talk more about this when we actually screen Calamity Jane this weekend. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I saw it in college. I remember being really fascinated by the homoerotic angle and the discussion of gender dynamics. Having seen far more Howard Keel movies now than I did at the time, I'll be very interested to see how I feel about Howard Keel because usually I hate him. Because he always plays a jerk. That's true. The thing that I love about Howard Keel is his voice. He just has the perfect male voice for these musicals. You compare him with anybody, but his voice is just so booming and commanding. It's such a fantastic on-screen presence. And I love his songs in this. Not as much as Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, but this movie is so good with him. I probably will have a far different idea of it now than I did nine years ago when I saw it for the first time. Honorable mentions, any movies that we didn't get to talk about. The only one that I will throw out is 1960s Midnight Lace, which also came out on Blu-ray recently. If you have not seen it, it's another Doris Day noir. The story of a woman named Kit, played by Doris Day, who is essentially gaslit into believing that she's going crazy because she feels that she is being threatened by some weird stalker who has a very bizarre voice. Um, This movie's really creepy. A lot of stuff happens in the London fog that's really unsettling. A who's who of actors, if anything. This movie is not flawless, but it's got a really great cast of people in it. Not just Doris Day, but Rex Harrison. I hate Rex Harrison, personal and professional reasons. He plays her husband, and because he's Rex Harrison, you automatically think something's weird. Maybe that's just me. It's got John (laughs) Gavin, the most impossibly beautiful man to ever exist in cinema, um, is in there. Myrna Loy plays Doris Day's aunt. I'm sitting there thinking, they both look the same age. They look amazing. That makes no sense. Oh my goodness. I haven't seen this movie, but this is just a roller coaster, you explaining it. 
It's got Roddy McDowell and Herbert Marshall's there, Hermione Baddeley. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a wild ride. It's worth watching, especially on Blu-ray now, if you have not seen it. So Sam, were there any other honorable mentions that you wanted to talk about? I would say the biggest one would be the one that I've discovered the most recently. I saw her in On Moonlight Bay with Gordon McRae, and that movie was so fantastic. Very much in the same vein as Meet Me in St. Louis. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but they're both Victorian households. They've moved into bigger homes. Leon Ames is the dad in both of them. It's all these different personalities in this family, constant changes in their life over the years. The songs are so cute, and she is so cute. Everything about it is a sugar confection. It's just so great. And it really made me realize how talented Gordon McRae is as well. He's another one right up there with Doris Day's leading men. I need to see more of their pairings together. They're just so cute together. It's just so wholesome and innocent, and I love it. Listeners, let us know your favorite Doris Day movies or anything about Doris Day that you want us to share. You can email that to us at ticklishbiz at gmail.com and we'll read them on the next episode. Also, remember, if you want to join us to watch Calamity Jane, we're going to be doing that Saturday, June 29th at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern. We are going to be streaming it via a place called Rabbit. So all you need is your computer and... That's it. We'll be sending out a link to people who want to RSVP. There's an RSVP link on our Twitter, which is at ticklish underscore biz. Also, if you're a patron, there's the RSVP form. Let us know that you're coming so we can make sure that you get access. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sam, before we close things out, where can fans find and get in touch with you online? I am online at musingsofaclassicfilmaddict.com. You can find me on Twitter at ClassicFilmGeek, and you can find my Cooking with the Stars posts every month exclusively on ClassicMovieHub.com. That closes out this edition of Ticklish Business. You can listen to Ticklish Business a variety of different ways, either at ticklishbusiness.podbean.com, Stitcher Radio, Player FM, Spotify, or SoundCloud. We are on all of them. You can contact us directly at ticklishbiz, that's B-I-Z at gmail.com. You can visit me at my official website where I discuss classic films regularly, journeysinclassicfilm.com. And remember the podcast Twitter, which is ticklish underscore biz. If you want to learn more about upcoming episodes or hear exclusive content before anyone else, then consider supporting Ticklish Business via Patreon. We have a lot of amazing perks. All your donations go right back into making Ticklish Business the classic film podcast that it is. If you become a patron right now, you can listen to not only my bonus episode of Doubled Features with Adam Kautzer on Godzilla, but you can also listen to part two of my TCM Classic Film Festival audio, which includes all sorts of amazing stuff. I'm going to give a little taste of that right now. We haven't actually officially met yet. So I know who you are. I'm shocked. Duh. Oh my gosh. People know who I am. It's very weird. How's it going? Oh, it's, it's going. I'm trying not to get, you know, blown into a, you oblivion. Know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm asking everybody, and I'm loving everybody's answer. You know, what's the gateway performer or film that got you into classic cinema? Oh, so easy. Laura. So oh, okay. I was I was in college, and I was taking a film class, and the professor showed us Laura. And I remember just being like, oh my god, I'm mesmerized by this. Just the look of it. I had never really seen a movie like that before. 
and this is the embarrassing part. I remember seeing the opening credits, and it said Dana Andrews and Jean Tierney. And I watched the movie, and I was like, Dana Andrews, she's so beautiful, and Jean Tierney, wow, such a handsome man. And then I had to learn afterwards that Jean was the lady and Dana was the, the guy. The wonders of unisex naming back in the I day. I know, so it really threw me off. But that was the movie that opened my eyes to a completely new world of film. We have a guest today that I'm going to be have the honor of interviewing, um, Miss Jennifer Grant. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. I get very masculine around Jennifer. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, we can sit here and talk about all the movies your father, father has done. But I, what I want to talk about is your relationship with him. You wrote a book called Good Stuff that came out in 2011, correct? I did, yes. And you never really wanted to write a book about him at first. Am I correct, correct about that? You're right. It took me years and years to be sort of talked into it. And when you did it, I, I, I read the book, and the boxes of stuff that he saved, yeah. he, um, your, your stepmother Barbara gave you them, these boxes of things, right? Yes. They were... Um, so my father was raised in the war, and most of his memorabilia actually burned. So he didn't have anything from his childhood. And he saved every, every little scrap of paper I doodled on. Um, he would write on the back of it, you know, the date, and where it was done, and as though it was all great art. But there were boxes and boxes of these things, and notes I'd written to him, and notes he'd written to me, and. And he actually took stuff out of the garbage that you crumpled up. Yeah, yeah. I remember he saved them. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and so he saved everything. Everything, and he made audio tapes as well. That's so, right. You, and you, so you heard yourself as a child. I heard myself as a child and his voice, and it's amazing, especially because sadly he passed. But I get to hear him and hear years of our relationship. It's always great to see you. Great to see you too. Well, I'm asking everybody, and I'm loving everybody's responses. What's but what's the classic film or performer that got you to love classic films? Is there one? Classic film performer? It just it, if there's well, like a if gateway. I, if there's yeah. a gateway. I could say. Um, I think Debbie Reynolds seeing uh, those great movies, and I think Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. <clears throat> Still to this day, if I see an old one of their dancing movies, I'm totally excited. I put it on Facebook. I'm just I want to share it. Yes, I'm so glad. I didn't know you were on Facebook. I am. Oh my gosh! I'm behind the times apparently. I didn't know that. under the celebrity part. Let's go with. To listen to the rest of the episode or anything else, head over to new patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Sam, what are we doing next episode? Next time, we are examining possibly the worst movie of all time, Plan 9 from Outer Space. And you'll see my sister on there as well as our special guest. Edward D. Wood Jr.'s Plan 9 from Outer Space, a movie I have not seen in about a decade, as many times as you should see. That'll be next episode.